as we navigate this dream, we're called to wisdom and love. We ask with expectancy and hope and the open hands like that day when I was healed. And we accept because Christ can be trusted, because Father and Holy Spirit can be trusted. I love stories. I love how they can have this subtle way of meeting us right where we're at. And sometimes, sometimes a good story will come with a, a tone, a, a line or phrase, a message that can ring deep in our hearts and minds. And then we get to carry that little flame of sorts throughout the following days, weeks, months, and years. And it's a lesson for us, the teaching can grow and evolve. Stories can be a wonderful gift from God. Today we get to hear a couple of stories from professor, theologian, Renovari president, and our friend, Chris Hall. This month we're working with the charismatic stream. Chris put together a collection of stories from his life and his learning of growing and experiencing the charismatic tradition. You can find Chris's essay on our website at renovare.org. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. All right, are you ready, Christopher? Yeah, All right. sure. Christopher. Christopher. Did you go by Christopher as a kid, your mom? No, because when my mom said Christopher, I knew I was in trouble. Oh, I'm never going to. Uh, I'm never going to. Yeah, call nobody, you nobody ever calls me Christopher except other scholars who don't know me. <laughs> I, I will never, <laughs> ever do it again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it was at the name, of you, yeah, Christopher Hall. Christopher, you know, Christopher, <laughs> that kind of thing. And even she didn't do it very much. It's always been Chris. You know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, Chris. Hey. Good to see you. Good to be with you. We get to talk about the charismatic stream and this essay that you wrote. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I love this stream. It's interesting to me how you've had a kind of evolution of sorts in experiencing that. Could you tell people just a kind of briefly introduction of how you came to appreciate and value the stream? And then maybe you could share one of those stories with us. Sure. What happened with me, folks uh, who are listening in, is I first learned the Bible uh, when I came into the kingdom and into relationship with Christ back in the very early 70s. So I didn't really know anything about theology, anything about the Bible, very actually very little about God uh, at that point. And so my first Bible teachers I later came to learn were folks who were from this what's called the cessationist school, related to the word cessation. Something stopped, something was going on, and then it stopped. It ceased. Cessationist school, and so these folks, God bless them, had the uh, opinion and the position that the kind of gifts we see operative in, say, something like the Book of Acts, healing people, hearing God very directly, and so on ceased with the formation of the canon, the church basically considering through the power of the Spirit a certain collection of books to be authoritative. And at that point, which was, I would argue, not finalized until 376, at least probably AD, um, until that point when the canon 
was finalized, these folks would probably say uh, these gifts slowly died out. <laughs> so, so someone from the cessation of school would not be expecting God to heal like God is healing in the New Testament. They wouldn't be expecting folks to be speaking in tongues, for example, or they wouldn't expect dramatic uh, healings to be occurring, things like that. I've always been curious as to what was their thinking behind the closing of the canon and how suddenly these things changed? What, what spurred that? Actually, I think that it's related to fear. Well, I was thinking that, but I, I was going to give them the benefit of the I doubt. I think it's related to fear. Before I had, how would I put this, uh, a change of heart and a change of experience, uh, these kind of gifts made me nervous too, because you you can't always... Well, you're not in control. Right. You're not in control. The Spirit's, uh, Holy Spirit's working in different ways, lively ways, sometimes dramatic ways, sometimes less dramatic. But you're not controlling what the Spirit is saying or doing. And there have been abuses. And mm -hmm. uh, some of the abuses would be you know, people believing that God has healed when God really hasn't healed. I've argued people saying, well, you have to speak in tongues in order to be part of the charismatic stream. Someone claiming to have heard from God and they didn't hear from God at all. It was just, who knows, indigestion, suggestion, <laughs> whatever it might be. So I think that at least partially why folks have reacted and come up with this uh, position which I would argue was not the position, for example, of the church fathers, mm -hmm. the folks I spend time with. It was predicated on we're not in control. There's a lot of wackiness that can occur or has occurred. Uh, sometimes uh, this position specifically uh, uh, attacking, I'd probably say, or addressing uh the Pentecostal movement, which is a little bit different than the charismatic movement. And so in, re in response, these things died out with the closing of the canon. And now that we have an authoritative canon, we don't need to see God working like this. It's all ceased. And that was, the, that was basically my position, mm -hmm. you know, because it, it was what I was taught. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the early 80s that I began to revisit that position, and it didn't make a heck of a lot of sense to me. Why would God, with Jesus, and then with the apostles, have been doing these wondrous things, magnificent, wondrous works that people could see, which were testing the arrival of the kingdom. But now that we have a text, which is talking about those very things, <laughs> those things that the text is talking about have ceased. Right. doesn't make sense to me. No, I can no. I can I can understand and, and appreciate uh, that there's you know, some of the fear involved or concern involved for some of the what I would probably uh, say would be uh, teaching about what indeed can happen, but the teaching itself not always helpful. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I think there is a point of being a little nervous or aware of some yeah, of the well, dangers is not necessarily a bad thing because you're right. You're not in control. You're not in control. And sometimes there are, there are, you know, things that people will say claims for healings uh, and that people would always be healed if someone would pray for them mm -hmm. claims to have witnessed certain things that 
I knew in all likelihood hadn't happened. So I had a lot of these reservations that folks still have who view the charismatic movement with, with deep suspicion. In your essay, you included a story that I'm really glad you did because it's one of my favorite stories of yours, actually. And I, I wondered yeah. if you could tell folks the story of uh, is it Bernie Hannity? Barney, Barney Hannity. Well, just a little background. So when I got into the uh, 80s, I was a, a, a pastor over in France and I was revisiting the charismatic stream and what I've been taught and other possibilities for understanding this particular stream. It was like I was, I was tapping my toe in the water because the position I advocated was less and less plausible to me. So then I left uh, with the family, uh, left France where I'd been in the pastorate and we headed off to Regent College in Vancouver. And while at Regent, I was contacted by the pastor of the church, a man by the name of Larry DeWitt. And Larry contacted me and said, I was, I'm supposed to speak at a conference in Africa. I can't go. I've got a scheduled conference. Would you go? And I said, well, sure. I'd never been to Africa before. And it sounded like fun. And I thought I misunderstood what he was saying. I thought I was supposed to speak seminar style to maybe 250 people, maybe max 300. And so, and then he said, and by the way, uh, there's going to be another man from a vineyard church here in Southern California, Barney Hamity, who is going to be meeting you over there and you'll be together. He'll be with you, but you'll be doing most of the speaking. And I said, that's fine. That sounds like fun. And so I didn't really think too much more about it. Now, by this time, this is two or three years after I've been dipping my toe in the charismatic stream, I had come to believe that God can speak to people very directly. And had God had done so actually in my own life. And one of those stories, or a number of those stories are in this essay. They'll be up on the website. So anyway, so I'm thinking about heading off to Kenya, excited about going to Africa, praying. And then very distinctly, what I heard in prayer was, with a high level of specificity, have Barney Hamity pray for you. That's a quote. Audibly? Have Barney you, did you hear audibly? Well, I don't know if someone else in the room would hear it, but I hear it. Uh, all I can say is I hear it, and I hear it. I hear it. Very clear. <laughs> Very clear it's very clear, high level of specificity. It, it, it's not, folks, it's not happening often. But I know it when it's happening. And it happened in this case, have Barney Hamity pray for you. So I thought, well, that's a good one. I'll tuck that one away. And uh, headed off to Kenya to meet Barney. And so I uh, arrived in Kenya, was met at the airport uh, by a man named Jackson Munyao from, I think it was African Inland Churches, churches in the non-charismatic stream, the cessationist stream. Uh, so I met Jackson, and he was fun to be with, and we got to uh, the compound where we were staying in a place called Machacos. And it turns out uh, that Bonnie and I would be actually sharing a bed together because there were a lot of beds. And and I met Barney. a big bed, Chris? Well, not, ter not, not terribly huge, but large enough. Okay. And so, I mean, you're a big met, guy. You're a tall guy. Like, I'm just, yeah, you know. yeah, I was a little tight, but we were okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, I met Barney, and, and 
I had all the stereotypes of what charismatic pastors were like based on some of what I'd seen on television, for example, or maybe heard on the radio. Well, Barney was unlike any of the stereotypes. He was earthy. He was funny. He was extremely well-read, biblically grounded, uh, probably has a higher intelligent quotient than me. And uh, we got to be friends. And I was just enjoying being with him. And upon arrival, and after meeting Barney, I was told that the first group of people that I'd be speaking to, it wasn't seminar style. It was going to be a group of Kenyan men, 10,000 of them out in the bush. As it turns out, they were going to be meeting in a canyon out in the bush. So that was the first group I was going to talk to. Like with a big microphone system? Of yeah, there was actually, there was a microphone hanging from a tree. <laughs> kind of, if memory serves me correctly, in the center of this, uh, of this uh, valley uh, with 10,000 men gathered there to listen to, of all people, to listen to me. So anyway, uh, just before, so Barney and I were getting to know each other and had spent a few, a few nights together talking. <laughs> and uh, then I was invited the evening before I was to go out and to talk to these folks. I was invited to have dinner with a, a Kenyan pastor out in the bush, but it was a wonderful meal. But we were, I was served water out of a borehole, a hole that had been bored down through rock. Uh, the rule of thumb when I go to Africa is never drink anything that's not coming out of a sealed bottle. Mm -hmm. Well, this water was just out of a borehole, and the sweet pastor said, oh, yes, it's clean, it's clean. I drank, I drank a full glass, headed home, for, or, prepared to speak the next morning and, and woke up in the morning about, it had to be maybe 5.30 in the morning and I'm supposed to speak at 10 somewhere out in the bush and just sicker than a dog with dysentery. So I'm running back and forth, back and forth, uh, dealing with this. Uh, <laughs> Our house of sorts was it? It was a small house, but yeah. the bathroom was maybe uh, across the hallway yeah. near to where we were. And so Marnie, of course, was awake and <laughs> quite evidently saw my, you know, my problem was evident. You're sharing so, the bed together with this. Yeah, because we're sharing the bed together. Yeah. So he's, I, I said, Barney, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm supposed to speak to all these folks. And I can't get, I can't more, get more than five or 10 feet away from, from the facilities here. And so he was not terribly helpful. He just said, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Your problem. Kind of, so, uh, <laughs> We waited for, I think, probably an hour and a half, two hours, trying to decide what to do. And then he just looked at me, and he says, we need to go. We need to go. And so I, it was interesting. Uh, we prayed, but I did not ask him specifically to pray for Chris. Pray for Chris. It was more just, we got to pray. So we prayed. We got dressed, and we hopped in the back of a pickup truck where there were two rocking chairs in the back of a pickup truck and we were covered with blankets to protect us from the dust. And off we went to speak, bouncing the whole way. You can imagine how I was feeling. <laughs> bouncing, oh, probably about an hour drive out into, out into the, you know, on roads really off this one paved road, I remember. And so I was just praying, oh Lord, this is going to be, this is going to be terribly embarrassing for everybody if I stand up in front of all these folks and have an accident. 
surprised there would have been. But I, you know, we got there. I dusted myself off, and uh, there were the ten thousand men there in this in this valley. And I had an interpreter next to me, and I said to the interpreter, "I said, hello, it's good to be with you. Will you pray for me? I'm not feeling well." And then in Swahili, with a chorus of voices, "Ai." which is yes, i.e., and it echoed through this valley. So all these men were praying for me as I spoke. I do not remember what I talked about. But I do remember that while I was speaking, I was absolutely fine. And so Barney's listening in, and then we're finished. And to make matters shorter, we got back in the pickup truck and bounced back. And then I learned the following weekend, I'm supposed to speak to 5,000 women for their renewal week. Mm-hmm. And some of these folks are walking 50 miles to get through an area in the bush where I'm going to be talking to them, along with some other folks. And I'm getting sicker as the week progresses. I'm not getting better. I'm getting sicker. And so finally, the evening before I'm supposed to, to speak to these folks, I'm really quite ill. I remember drinking uh, bottles of, I don't know, it's like soda with or glucose or sugar, just to try to you're dehydrated. I'm dehydrated amongst lots of other things and, and just sicker than a dog. And so I had been up in the living room of a pastor at this little compound. And where we were staying was down the hill. And it was about uh, 536 in the evening. And Barney came up with Jackson my non-charismatic friend, and Barney's the charismatic pastor, each got on each side of me, and they kind of supported me as we walked down the hill. And I'm feeling, yeah, well, not to speak. This was the evening before. This is the evening before. I'm supposed to speak the next day. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping just to get some rest. And we got down, and we walked into our little bedroom. We sat on the edge of the bed. Jackson's on my left, and Barney's on my right. And then... Sure enough, this insistence, have Barney Hammity pray for you. It was what I had heard back in Vancouver and had kind of put on the back show. So I thought, yeah, all right. So I'm sitting there and I said to Barney, Barney, will you pray for me? You think we would have done this, (laughs) but we're both a couple of knuckleheads. And he said, yeah, okay. And I held up, I'm sitting there and I held up my, my hands it is, is a sign of receptivity. And in other words, Lord, do what you will. I need to get, I'm supposed to speak. I need to get better so I can speak. So I'm receptive. Right. And so Barney prays. I'm expecting, you know, a loud demonstrative prayer because that's what I'd seen modeled for me. Here comes the charismatic prayer, right? Yeah, yeah. Some maybe some yelling or surely something loud, and this and so this is Barney's prayer. I still remember it. Lord, Chris is he's real sick, and he's supposed to speak to all these people in the morning. Would you please heal him? And then he stops. And I'm thinking, why are you stopping? Don't you need to continue? Doesn't this need to have all these corresponding volatilities and so on to the prayer? He just stops. So I'm thinking, well, all right, well, I did 
what I was supposed to do. At least I asked him to pray for me. But I have my hands out in front of me. Mm-hmm. And Jackson's on my left. Within five seconds, completely une- uh, and unexpectedly, I feel in my left arm, I remember it was my left arm, something like an electric current flowing into my left arm. It was hot. The muscles on my left arm started flexing in response to the current. And my, my arm starts to swing back and forth. All I know is I'm not going to stop this from happening. All right. Because I never expected something like this, but it's happening. And I know it's happening. And Barney's quite later has his eyes open. He's watching. Jackson's watching. He doesn't know what to make out of this. My eyes, uh, I close my eyes, and then accompanying this, this current in my arm swinging back and forth was uh, in my mind's eye. I don't know that this was a vision, but it was surely the beauty of the Trinity, hmm. almost like colors, the beauty of the Trinity. I recall that very clearly. And so this, this goes on. It's going on for maybe eight minutes. You're swinging your arm. Your eyes are Well, closed. I'm not swinging it. Nate. I'm not swinging. swinging it. Okay. It's swinging on its own. And at one point, Barney prayed again, and he said, more power, Lord. And it continued. So it lasted, I would have been for 12 minutes or so. And then it slowly slacked off, and I fell back and opened my eyes. And I looked at Barney, and Barney almost looked distracted, <laughs> like, you know, what can we do now? And Jackson's looking at me. He has no categories for this, and his <laughs> eyes are wide open. And so I, I said out loud, I remember saying, that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And Barney said, yeah, the Holy Spirit was hopping all over you. This was not a big deal I, to him, right? Is that what No, it was just like, well... Well, you're sick. You, you have something you need to do in the morning, and we prayed about it. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, Jackson heads up the hill, no doubt wondering, what was that I just saw? And we hop in the sack. <laughs> Sounds funny. You know, we're to go to sleep because it's going to be a big day in the you morning. You and Barney. In the yeah, 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 and, yeah, and Barney's already starting to fall off to sleep, <laughs> right on the edge of uh, snoring. And then I, it was at that point, I remember that I asked myself the question, I wonder if, in my mind, I wonder if I've been healed. So I turned to Barney and I said, Barney, Barney, do you think I've been healed? I don't know. And he goes to sleep. <laughs> he goes, I don't know. So I thought, well, that's that's an interesting response. And he just falls off to sleep. Yeah. And so uh, I fell asleep finally. And I woke up in the morning, of course, and the first thing on my mind was, have I been healed? How do I feel? And the second thing is, you got to, now you have to say something coherent to 5,000 women who, who've walked miles. Yeah. And so I kind of sat up in bed and I felt dramatically different. My energy level was up and I swung my legs over the edge of the bed and sh- and quite evidently was 100 percent wow and so barney's looking at me and i said barney i think i'm healed and he kind of chuckled 
almost like, well, what we expect. <laughs> and then off, off we went, off we went. Um, and then we spent uh, maybe two or three more days there. And then we headed back to the States and I have not talked to him since that time. Mm. And this was in 1986. How'd the talk go with the women? It seemed to go fine. But again, I don't, I don't remember. I let me try to think back. I think it had to do with, it had to do maybe with something like, well, how do you know if a prophet is saying something that what this prophet is saying is true? Something like this. (laughs) I do remember this two or three days later after this occurrence and after I'd spoke and things are were uh, getting ready to leave by myself in that same room and thinking, you know, I wonder if that really did happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we, that, that is so wild. It's so crazy. I just wonder if that happened. And immediately, this is what I heard. Don't you do that. I did that. Don't you doubt me. I remember that. And then, and then I realized, and my arm, my left arm hurt. It hurt. And it hurt because those muscles had been flexing when Barney was praying for me and the Spirit of God was touching me. So that's the Barney Hammity story. It's a wonderful story. Uh, and when, when I... When I get to those times, I think we all have. And then in the essay that folks can read uh, that I wrote that will be up on the website, I tell other stories where healings didn't occur, (laughs) where I was still hearing from God quite evidently, but where healings were not occurring, but God was still at work. And both of those stories, uh, one has to do with a woman, a close friend of mine named Rebe Yoder, who discerned more clearly and heard more clearly that her life was drawing to a close, mm-hmm. was not going to be expend, extended by God. And then a dying schizophrenic in the hospital uh, where I was director of pastoral care at State Psychiatric Hospital. Oh, that's a good one. Another, yeah. time, another time when uh, God quite evidently spoke, but the answers I received were not what I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted healing. I wanted life restored, and, and in both cases, this was was not what was to be. All of that to say, then, when we when we begin to um, talk about hearing from God, Dallas wrote a book called "Hearing God." When we begin to talk about hearing from God, and in my case, it usually is with a high level of specificity. The question becomes: Well, why isn't everybody hearing from God like this? Why him, not me? How do you know it's really God? I mean, question after question after question, all worth a thorough discussion, maybe not on a 30 or 40 minute podcast. Uh, I'm well aware of those questions, but I've reached the point where I, I knew that I would be lying if I said God doesn't speak like this. I'd be lying through my teeth and that realized the Lord would not be pleased because in my particular case, which I'm I'm not offering as a paradigm for everybody, but in my particular case, this happens to me every now and then. And I've just, for me, I've just learned to accept. Uh, do I always get it right? No. <laughs> no, there's some, there's some funny stories when I didn't and was chastised. Uh, fairly directly 
but 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 there's a you've known me now for a while, and you know that every every once in a while something becomes very clear to me, and uh, I'll speak a word with a fairly high level of specificity, and generally speaking. That's the thing I've noticed, and and maybe you can help me with this, is that you get very high level of specificity, and uh, others maybe not, right? And and I just think for myself of I'll get impressions or kind of general. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if maybe, you know, God speaks differently to different people. When we encounter the charismatic string, the tendency would be to take a cookie cutter approach. It's always like this. You, it must be like this, or within the Pentecostal tradition, at least for a long time. And the only way you know you're in the stream is if you've spoken in tongues. And if you haven't spoken in tongues, uh, somehow you haven't fully experienced what God has for you. I think that's a cookie-cutter approach. It's not helpful. I'm not gainsaying speaking in tongues. Obviously, I'm not gainsaying God speaking to people or God healing. So if I was to coach, avoid a cookie-cutter approach. God speaks, God acts, God heals in different ways, and we cannot dictate to God how God is going to choose to act. I have to use Reba Yoder as an example. This is the third story in in the essay. So I'm teaching a, a course that's actually available on our website in a, a much more abbreviated form, Foundations of Christian Spirituality at Eastern. This was before it was filmed, and the, court, the, the class was still relatively small, maybe 45 students in it. And I was talking in the class about pain and suffering. There was an older student in class. She looked to be about 40, 45. And after I had finished in class, ended Reba, as it turns out, was her name, Reba Yoder. Reba comes up and says, hi, I'm Reba Yoder. I like what you were saying. I've got cancer. And I, I responded, really nice to meet you. And we became friends. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, uh, to pray that she'll be healed. This is in the mid-90s now. And she went into remission, which I thought was absolutely wonderful. And then I remember after maybe two, three years, she went off to Oregon for a vacation because she was feeling a little bit tired. And she went off and visited some friends. I'm uh, back at Eastern. I got a call in my office, Reba. And she says, hi, it's Reba. It's back. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Reba. We really need to start praying. And she said, yes, we do, but in a different way. And I said, I remember thinking, I don't know if I like the, this, the sound of this in a different way. So I kept, kept up with my uh, perspective. We need to pray for healing. And I'm not really listening to Reba. I'm just yapping. I want, the, I want that paradigm to work because I want Reba around. I don't want Reba to die. She's, I don't want her daughter to have to go through that and she not be with her grandchildren. I don't want to lose a friend. But she got, you know, she was a very direct woman. And finally, she just said to me, in the context of this initial discussion, you're not listening 
stop it. You're not listening. Stop it. So I stopped. And I said, she said, I've been listening. And what the Lord is asking of me is this. Reba, I'm asking you to die like a Christian. That's what that was. That's a quote. And I said, I don't I don't like that. And she pretty basically said, well, I don't care whether you like it or not. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> this, is, this is what the Lord's asking of me. So the metaphor of music comes up, comes to me, and the metaphor of dancing. What I wanted was a more cookie-cutter approach, and I wanted Jesus dancing a jig of healing and hope and restoration. Well, there was surely hope in a deeper restoration, but she was she discerned that Jesus was asking her to dance uh, something like a slow, sweet, sad waltz. He, he was going to dance her home for a, for a much deeper healing. That is to say, you know, his purpose for this particular image bearer, his purpose for her life was drawing to a close as much as I was fighting against it. And she was hearing that. And now once I shut up and was willing to listen to the possibility that someone else also could discern the voice of God, we both moved into that situation differently. And for a year's time, it was one of the richest experiences of my life. The chaplain at Eastern University, Joe Monica and I, promised Reba every Friday, we will come and visit you at home. She lived in Salem, New Jersey. And we'll come and visit you and we'll share the Eucharist with you every Friday. Hmm. And, you know, and it, initially she was in the living room fully dressed. And then another Friday, you know, as time went on, then she's, she's uh, not dressed. She's in her PJs that have been in bed in her bedroom. And finally, um, toward the end, she's in on a gurney in the kitchen because hmm. she loved to cook. <laughs> and every week, you know, we, we talk about Reba. This week drove the hour out to Salem from Eastern University, and we talked where we were heading home. And finally, it was in January. And she was quite clearly very near the end. And we showed up, and we would act stupid, you know, and joke with her and talk with her, but always have the Eucharist together with Reba. She loved that. And she's on a gurney in the, in the kitchen. And the entire, we walked in and, and she was clearly uh, comatose, if not, well, maybe semi-comatose. I thought she was comatose, meaning she's just not responding. Mm -hmm. Her eyes are closed. She's not responding to our presence there. I'm standing by her gurney. And this is all part of the charismatic stream. I'm standing by her gurney, holding her hand. And Joe and I are talking to her. And we looked at one another and we thought, you know, we probably need to head off better traffic and so on and we've been there for maybe 45 minutes so i i bent over and i whispered in reba's ear reba we're going to have to go now we'll see you next week and so i started to pull away and she grabbed my hand she grabbed my hand and she said she didn't say because she wasn't speaking her eyes are still closed I said to her, Reba, do you want us to stay longer? 
And she, she gripped my hand. That was her way of saying yes. And I said, that's fine. That's fine. We'll stay longer. So we stayed another 10 minutes and we knew that she was hearing what we were saying. So we were talking about different things that were relevant to her experience. And then I said, I said, uh, I'm still holding her hand or actually she's holding my hand. And then I said, I said, Reba, I think we're going to have to go. And she let loose of my hand. And so I walked uh, to the foot of the gurney and, and her, her, the gurney, the head of the gurney was, was elevated so that she was more comfortable. And so I was at the foot of the gurney and I said, bye Reba. And she opened her eyes, looked straight at me and waved goodbye. <laughs> and she died two days later. Oh. That was the last time I saw Reba. Mm. So that, that story was is meant to illustrate the the dangers of a cookie cutter approach. I think I think we swing to extremes when we do our theology and sometimes our our analysis of different ways God works. So the, here the extreme would be uh, the position that says these things don't occur anymore. Don't expect them to occur. Don't expect to speak in tongues or don't expect to be healed or don't expect these things. They don't happen anymore. They've ceased. We have the Bible, <laughs> which speaks of all these things. And then uh, the other extreme, the charismatic extreme at its worst would be healing always occurs. If healing doesn't occur, say, it's because of a lack of faith on behalf on the of the person who desires to be uh, healed or those folks who are praying for them. Reba did say to me, she said, the people who have been most harmful to me in this experience are the people who said, Reba, if you just had more faith, you'd be healed. Well, then God becomes a sadist. Imagine a glass filled, you know, half full of water. And Lord saying, you know, ah, Reba, you know, if it's two thirds full, you'd live. You know, it's just, it's just a, uh, really a, a deeply, uh, seems to me, sadistic approach uh, to analyzing a situation. God's not like that. God simply isn't like that. God loves us and cares for us and desires for us to be well and whole. And uh, I think to have a lively, interactive relationship. But there comes a time when our lives do draw to a close. I don't know. I don't know how God decides this. On what basis? We're given a gift of years, and you know, some people get six months. Some ministers get six months, and some get three years. Some get fifteen. Some get thirty-five. Uh, the knucklehead you're talking to for this broadcast just turned seventy. <laughs> but I. But, and how God distributes those years is a mystery to me. I have to leave that. In the hands of God, I have to trust that the Lord knows. The Lord knows, and He, in some way, knows what's best. Even though to say goodbye to a five-year-old is immensely painful, but He knows. He knows, and so uh, I fully expect. You know, you know, well, I probably have. I don't know, five years to live, ten years to live, fifteen years to live. I don't know. 
if I got sick, would I ask people to pray for me? You bet. But um, my expectation would be, my overall expectation would be as my life draws to a close, there will come a time and, and I'm called by Christ to trust him just as much at that point of departure as I'm called, I was called to trust him in Kenya or to trust him in my relationship with Reba or uh, the way you know about this situation, the way that I was called to trust God when my best friend died in July, Gary Edmonds. When Mun, when Munns died, he went with me through that. And you know how painful that was. When he had cancer, we prayed he'd be healed. And uh, he, he, he died. But in the last hours of his life, out of a coma, he's telling his wife, Trish, not really knowing she's there, almost giggling, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. And she said to him, honey, what are you seeing? And he's laughing, you know, for months, for months to laugh and giggle. That's not months. And he's kind of giggling. And he died 24 hours later. So it's a wonderful, light-filled, sometimes turbulent stream that has its rapids to navigate. So I think that as we navigate this stream, we're called to wisdom and love and never to navigate the stream in such a way that it brings harm to somebody somebody who's longing to be healed and somehow we end up punishing them for their lack of faith or we punish the person who's praying in some way we ask we ask with expectancy and hope open hands and yeah, open hands like that day when i was healed open hands and then I've just learned, and we accept, because Christ can be trusted, because Father and Holy Spirit can be trusted. They are not far from us. They are right there. And I've seen it over and over again in my life, both in, in situations that some people would describe as absolutely hellish. God has been present there. And in situations like that time I had with Barney, where you're just chuckling because how God has chosen to act. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, well, thanks, Nate. Good to be with everybody. God bless you all. Well, there you have it. I love hearing Chris tell stories. You can read more of his stories in an essay he put together that we've posted on our website, renovare.org. As always, thanks for listening. Have a good week.